Okay, a very good morning to you if you'd like to grab your coffee, donut. One of, the, uh, one of the very many things that has been at the heart of this church, whose 32nd birthday we celebrate today. 32 years old, which is a bit of a miracle. Kate and, Kate and I have been here for a good chunk of it, which is worrying. But one of the things, one of the many things that has been at the heart of this church for the past 32 years has been its generosity. Over the years, your generosity, the generosity of countless hundreds of people who have um, literally sat in your seats um, over the years, it directly resulted in the planting of 17 churches across the UK and Ireland. Many of those churches have now planted churches, and some of those churches that they've planted have now planted other churches. And so there's this kind of ripple-down effect uh, in terms of the kingdom. Time and time again, you and again the people who have sat in your seats have given sacrificially of your time and your energy and your money, choosing to invest time and time and time again in the kingdom of God. And whether that's been uh, by giving, giving financially to the church here in the work of the church here or to a church that we're sending out or that we've sent out or whether it's supporting um, ministries around the world um, involved in uh, extending the kingdom of God. You've done all of those things right through to the sacrificial giving of yourselves. Um, as many of us have seen, if you've been around here for uh, any long period of time, you will have no doubt have invested in friends and relationships and invested heavily in friends and relationships and then seen those people uh, go off um, usually to the far-flung corners of the world as they follow God's call on their lives. Um, and that's expensive and that's costly, but it's a part of the generosity, if you like. It's part of the DNA of this church. It's always been the case right from the very beginning. And so really as we mark our 32nd birthday, we wanted to start just by thanking you and the literally thousands of people who've sat in your seats over the years for the very incredible uh, generosity that you have um, displayed and for the very significant impact that that generosity has had in seeing the kingdom of God extended. Never underestimate the impact that you and those who've gone before you um, have had and are having. But uh, we're not done yet. And before you get nervous, um, James and Helen Kai are away in Portugal. So I was thinking about having some fun about their church planting career in their absence. Um, whilst we don't feel like the Lord is calling us to plant another church yet, which is awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, we do feel that the Lord is calling us to continue fostering this culture, if you like, of generosity that has existed and is just part of the DNA of this church as we work alongside and we bless some of our international um, partners. And so that's really what I want to look at a little bit today. You may remember um, 
a number of years ago, we felt, Kate and I felt like the Lord told us that we were to give away everything that goes into the offering basket. As you know, you're, like, you're here at church and the offering basket comes around and you know, if you're new or visiting, you're sort of hoping that there's like a donut in there or something that you can take out, uh, but you feel like I'm supposed to put something in. Um, we felt like the Lord said to us, give away everything that goes into the offering basket. So for, I don't know how many, it's got to be at least five plus years. Everything that's gone into the offering baskets has been um, given away. And last year, uh, some of the money that went into the offering baskets, we gave away to, um, and we gave away, it was a chunk of money, it was a significant amount of money we gave away at the end of last year to support the vineyard in Yangon, in Myanmar. And so uh, I thought it would be nice just to give you a little taste of what's going on in the vineyard in uh, Myanmar. And so... um, why don't we start by watching this first video? We're going to do that after church <laughs> and send it back. Uh, I mean, it's amazing. These guys are absolutely and utterly crazy. You'll probably remember Lisa and Soren. Uh, they've been here before. But your generosity is having a direct impact. Don't ever underestimate the, the direct impact that your, gener- your financial generosity has had both on the church in Myanmar and on the local people there in, and around Yangon. Um, many of whom live in um, pretty gr- you know, grim slums around the city. And Kate and I, we're in regular contact with um, Soren and Lisa, and we get updates from them. They lead the church there. Uh, alongside the church in Yangon, uh, they've now planted another vineyard in, uh, in Mandalay. I think they've now got seven community churches meeting in different sites all around uh, the city, all around Yangon, and many of whom, many of those, those community churches, they, they're meeting in, the, as I said, the slums across the city. And the, the reason I'm saying all of this is because the support that you guys gave them financially, particularly at the end of last year, that's enabled these guys to, they found a church building uh, in, in one of the slums, um, 
uh, which is unheard of because there are no buildings in the slums to start with. So they managed to find a building, which was remarkable, and then they were managed to, able to rent this building, which they've turned into another church called the um, Dalla Vineyard. And they're doing a whole host of other things. So we asked Soren to put together a video just to give us a bit of an update as to what they're doing. So uh, why don't you have a look at this? We are here on a visit with some of our wonderful church members in the slum area of Yanga. And uh, here many, many miracles are happening. Many, many prayer answers. Many people are becoming believers. And this is in the very poorest of, of the slum. And I want to invite you in to meet some of our new church members. And um, this, is, uh, th this is the house here. And, um, and uh, you can see the ground is a little bit uh, wobbly. It is a little bit wobbly here, but um, th this is where God is moving. Minglava. This is very wonderful people. And uh, this is the house where they're living. This is the kitchen here. This is the mother. And um, here we have our wonderful uh, Pastor Moses. Welcome to Dalla Vineyard. This is our building. We ha have a building in, in, in a two-story, and uh, this is very hard to get here in the slum area because there's nearly no big buildings at all. So we was looking a lot, but we found it eventually. We have been here for uh, four months. There have been a little problem here and there with the building, but now it seems to be in order. Um, it is actually on the on the land, on the government land of the Dalat Dockyard because it is right by the river, by the Yangon uh, River. And uh, but then on the Dalat Dockyard land we make Dalat Vineyard, so that is pretty funny. Um, and we make we make church here from nine o'clock in the morning. We start, and then we have discipleship with a Bible study and teaching them how to sing what the meaning of the song, all of these 80 new believers, they are here together uh, in the morning. And then um, we have uh, around uh, eight staff that is teaching them in all different ways. Then we eat together at 12 o'clock and then in the afternoon we have happy service. And uh, there's a lot of joy and God is doing a lot of things. And it, it is, uh, so we are very thankful for the support we have, have been uh, re receiving from Southwest, and um, it, it, it is just, God is doing great things. Uh, let us go in and have a look how it looks inside. Here we have the kitchen, where we have a long, big couch that we made, so all people can sit together and have a lot of fun. This is very social culture, and they like to sit very close and very happy together like this. So, um, and then we have the generator, we have a pool where we baptize people in. And then we have uh, the very um, important part of the place, that is the kitchen, where we make food for more than 100 people every uh, Sunday and also during the week. And then we go upstairs here. Now we are coming up to the church hall that we rented. This is second floor. And uh, you can see already the vineyard sign here in our hall and we are having a worship uh, practice now teaching and um, say hello to
Soren has, I think, the driest sense of humor that I have ever come across. He, he makes me look like a pussycat. And um, as you can see, it's very funny that they're meeting in the Dalla Dockland. Um, I don't know why, but apparently it's, <laughs> it is very funny. So just laugh, OK? Um, but we want to carry on. These guys are just amazing. He's, he is uh, both Lisa and Soren just in different ways there. Um, crazy, pioneering, entrepreneurial, passionate pursuers of Jesus. I mean, 80 new believers is phenomenal. That cult, in the culture and the context where they are, the understanding and getting, the, the, uh, getting a grid for what he calls the happy service and the amount of dancing and singing that all these guys are doing in their services. Uh, I mean, it's like being in a nightclub half the time when you're in um, some of these church services. But that's a massive shift for the local Burmese coming out of a very, very oppressive religious Buddhist environment whereby they weren't allowed to sing. All the chanting in monotone, there's not, they're not allowed to or encouraged to sing or express themselves. And, and so when he's talking about teaching them how to worship and what the meaning of the songs are, that's because that's a massive, massive break with tradition and so the things that they're seeing is absolutely fantastic. And we are going to carry on supporting um, the vineyard in Myanmar and Lisa and Soren in whatever ways the Lord tells us to do. But alongside that, I've got so much to get through. Um, we also feel like the Lord is inviting us to be a blessing to a project. Many of you will know uh, we had Sally over here, I think, earlier on in the year called the Lunch Bowl Network. And that's run by Stuart and Sally McGreevy. They used to be here at Southwest London Vineyard. And, and they run that project out of the Kiberia slums in Nairobi, in Kenya. Kate was out with the team uh, earlier in the year. And the guys here are doing an amazing job. They're serving children and families in one of the, the biggest and one of the poorest uh, slums in the world. They feed them, they clothe them, and, and alongside all of that, they're giving them, them an education that these children would have absolutely no access to uh, at all. They're introducing them to Jesus. They run a a rugby club, rugby church thing on a Sunday. Hundreds of kids come out from the slum. They come with their families. They all play rugby together. They eat uh, together. They learn about Jesus together. And the things that are developing there have just been growing and growing and growing. And now they've, they've, they've hit a massive blessing, which is also um, causing them difficulties because they've been given a primary school uh, to run alongside everything else. And so... Stuart and Sally have been in touch, and they basically are, are asking us for our help, for prayer, and for cash, um, both of which, as a church, we can do. So uh, why don't you uh, listen to Sally this time? This is Sally McGreevy from Nairobi. Hello, Southwest London Vineyard. Um, first of all, I'd really like to thank you very much for all that you have done to help the children from Kibera. Uh, recently you've given some money which has really, really helped us because it's meant that we've been able to continue um, our Saturday dinner programme and also just provide for our ongoing costs as a charity. Um, just to give you a little update, since January we have experienced an unusual uh, blessing um, in that we've been given a school to operate, a primary school. This has meant that we are now able to bring out every day 200 children from Kibera Slum, give them breakfast, give them lunch, and give them a really uh, very, very good education that would have been, they would have no way ever of receiving something like that. 
Um, so this is a huge, huge blessing. It's meant that we've gone from operating just one small kindergarten with three teachers and support staff to now running a primary school with eight primary classes, three teachers for a kindergarten plus a special needs unit. Um, so the special needs unit is a wonderful thing. We're actually taking out little children who we found literally in a room uh, with absolutely nothing to stimulate them, right in the middle of Kibera. And now we've given them a bright airy classroom with a nice teacher, with some nice stimulating equipment for them. The reality is, of course, that whilst we see this absolutely, that this is God's favour and blessing, it is also a challenge because clearly it costs. And to date, what we have done, we've had some financial reserve as a charity, and we've been using that. Um, but by the end of November, we that financial reserve will have gone. And so that will then mean um, that that will most severely impact what we are able to do for the children. We don't for one minute think that God has given us this primary school to then a few months down the line us have to send the teachers away and send the children back to Kibera. We don't believe that. We believe that this is God's kingdom coming. But we are asking that people in England will just join with us to pray and to see a miracle of provision for these children. Um, we have actually had to suspend aspects of what we've been doing just because we know that we will be having to um, still meet the payroll for our teachers. So we are in uh, a challenging time, an exciting time, and a very hopeful time for the children from Kibera, but we truly, truly need more support. So thank you for listening, and God bless you, and um, we just ask that you would join with us in seeing this miracle. Thank you. Great. So from uh, the 1st of September, so from a couple of weeks ago, all the way through to the 30th of November up until Advent, everything that goes into the offering baskets on a Sunday, they'll come around in a minute, uh, will be going directly to support the work of these guys at the Lunch Bowl um, Network. And as well as asking you to pray, we are asking you um, to give, as you have always done, generously. And uh, you may say, well, that's all very well and good, like he's up there asking us to cough up cash again. Right? That's what he's really interested in. Um, you know, where is all of this in the Bible? Well, it is in there. So if you've got a Bible, which of course you all do, turn with me to 2 Corinthians um, chapter 8. You'll have to use your own Bibles. I haven't done a PowerPoint. So 2 Corinthians um, chapter 8. We'll come to that in a second. It's pretty likely that Christians, you know, of all traditions, you know, we're talking really essentially here about poverty, and Christians of all traditions would, would probably agree that, you know, poverty doesn't have a single definition. We tend to think straight away and immediately of material deprivation, a low income, um, little or no public welfare, not much in any emergency provision, poor health care, or an ability to afford basics such as food. But then behind that, there's a whole sort of set of deeper rooted concerns, which really are around things like access to power, you know, power that one can use to change one's situation. And then there's a whole other kind of level, another depth, really, at which um, poverty has to be taught, uh, thought about in terms of uh, resources that are less easy to quantify, uh, things like um, the stability of a, a decent domestic 
environment or, um, or some kind of access to an educational experience or access to an unpolluted living space or even just when it comes down to an individual sense of self-worth which enables us to find some kind of way to uh, human significance and meaning. Rowan Williams, who was the former Archbishop of Canterbury, he wrote this about poverty. He said, poverty is the widowed woman struggling to feed an orphan grandchild in Malawi or South Africa. It is the child abducted from home to fight in an insurgent army in Uganda or in Myanmar. It's the politician trying to balance budgets for hospitals or schools in a country with a faltering and debt-laden economy. It's the citizen paralyzed by a culture of endemic corruption, disabled by pollution, trapped in working practice, working practices that undermine family and stable community. And this last is not restricted to the poorer countries of the world. So it is also the modern Western person cut off from the depths of religious and cultural meaning by a series of relentless messages about consumer gratification. But for us, as followers of Jesus, how are we supposed to respond? You know, how do we, how do we respond to this whole thing and, and the constant uh, barrage almost of requests that we feel like that we get in order to combat and to counter um, poverty? Well, let's have a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. I have absolutely no time at all. So, Brace yourselves. Buckle in. Verse 1. Whatever our response to poverty, wherever we see it, it's to be centered on the gift of God's grace. These churches in Macedonia, that's um, Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea, they'd all been planted by Paul on his second missionary journey. And one of the things that Paul is pointing out to the church, he's writing to the church in Corinth, about these churches is the grace that God has bestowed on these Macedonian churches. And grace, if you've read any of Paul's letters, you'll know grace is one of Paul's big words. And it's so big that we often, when we're reading, we, we don't really necessarily fully understand and realize what it means. Usually, when we talk about grace in church circles and as Christians, you know, we're referring to the undeserved love that God pours out on us in bringing us to faith in the first place, which is absolutely true. Without question, 
that remains central and is vital. But Paul also uses grace um, in what seems uh, to us, although probably not to him, in a whole variety of different ways. And, and here, Paul is referring to what God wants to do, not just in and for believers, but what he wants to do through us as followers of Jesus. And, and the word grace appears like like 10 times, I think, in chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians. And even within just a relatively few sort of verses, it has all kinds of different meanings. It's used to describe a, a spiritual endowment, a divine, divine enablement. There's a, the monetary gift. There's cash in here, which we've just looked at. There's human privilege. There's a word of gratitude. It has all these different nuances and different meanings. But here in verse 1, Paul's referring to the way that despite... They're seriously adverse conditions. They're, they're, they're in a really tight spot. God has enabled the Macedonians, through the gift of his grace, to give financially and generously financially to struggling Christians. This, these guys in Macedonia, they don't even know them. They haven't got any clue who they are. And this isn't about some spiritual, wonderful experience that the church has had, some massively hyped up, uh, encounter. It's just under an impulse, which comes from God himself, to give of themselves. It's like, well, yeah, okay. We'll just give of ourselves. And they give of themselves with this almost reckless financial generosity. And this Paul describes and declares as being a work of grace. And so as we give our money, however large or small the amount, that doesn't really matter. It's centered on the gift of God's grace. The second thing, Whenever we encounter poverty, whenever we uh, engage with and respond to it, it has to be centered around the gift of God's generosity. Have a look at verse three and two. In the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Um, we read the Gospels, you read through the Gospels, you see that the mission of Jesus is about the way in which the community of God's people, first of all, and historically the Jews, and now the church, is being recreated and reshaped and reformed to become more and more like Jesus. We are the embodiment, the hands and feet of Jesus. And all the way through, you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus is consistently concerned with those who have no voice and those who have no standing. Not only the material and materially poor, but all those on the edges and on the fringes of society. And so when we respond to Jesus' invitation, we're redeemed. It's like, fantastic. That's amazing. But Oh, and because we are redeemed, we are then able to offer a love to others that is like the love that has been expressed to us in and through the person of Jesus Christ. And so it then becomes unthinkable to us as followers of Jesus that any should be left as a victim without voice or without power. Those two things are just completely and utterly incongruent. And so we are called to be a community, we are a body of believers, we are the body of Christ, the church, that is to be actively engaged in counteracting poverty in all of its forms. That's the brief. And every single one of us, no matter what our material wealth, we have been given the dignity of being 
a giver. Sometimes out of our most severe trials, sometimes, many times, out of our lack, not out of our abundance, that then wells up in rich generosity. And then finally, our response to wherever we encounter poverty is to be centered on the gift of Jesus. Uh, For you know the grace, verse 9, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And and here, telescoped into sort of one marvelous verse is, is, is the whole moving story of redemptive love, and it's indissolubly linked to the subject of giving. The quality that endears Jesus most to us, um, you know, the glory, the beauty of his majesty, of his life and his being, is his readiness to give of himself, his willingness, his preparedness to give of himself, holding absolutely nothing back. That's like the grace and the beauty and the majesty and the splendor and the wonder of the person of Jesus. And, And you can see that uppermost in the apostle's mind is the thought of the incarnation of Jesus. He's saying, though he was rich, Jesus, yet he, Jesus, became poor when he had everything. He had everything. Jesus chose to become poor. He laid it all aside, says in Philippians. He gave it all up, Paul says, willingly. Though he was rich, yet for our sake, Jesus entered into the poverty of human existence and held nothing back, not even his own life. He gave it all. And what Paul is saying here is that we have never truly given until it costs us something. And that's not just financial, but it is sacrificial. Giving is expensive, not necessarily materially expensive, but sacrificially. And there's something profound um, about the nature of our giving. Whether our giving is in our time, our energy, or our money. And it's like, um, it's actually like sowing a seed. It's like we're literally in those times when we give of our time and our energy and our money. We're literally planting seeds. And it's like the beginning of a process of growth. It's not just the alleviation of the problem. It's not just a, here's a bunch of cash, that fix it. It's actually, um, it creates something. It's kingdom growing. It's kingdom agriculture. And um, it grows something. And one of the things that that sowing of a seed, giving of our time, our energy, and our money, one of the things it affords is it it affords the possibility of a a reciprocity, some kind of reciprocal action. It's where we become a community who rather than just like throwing money at the poor just to salve our consciences, you know? Because like a lot of us, it's easy to write check. It's actually learning how, as a community, as a bunch of believers, to engage with and how to treat the less advantaged with respect and as our associates and as our, as our colleagues, as our helpers, as our friends, actually sometimes as our rescuers. Um, Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. There's this really interesting symmetry here. It's a bit uncomfortable, but it's here, um, that Christ in all his richness became 
poor so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. Um, some of you remember, do you remember uh, there's a couple in this church a number of years ago called Ridian and Nicola Brook? Some of you will know them. Uh, they were here a few years ago, and they spent six months or so traveling around the world with their then two small children. They were working with the Salvation Army, and they were living in some of the poorest communities uh, in the world, particularly with people with HIV and, and AIDS. And I just wanted to read something Ridian wrote after they came back. And he, he wrote this. He's a writer, so he writes beautifully. I'll try and do it justice. He, he said this. He said, living in a community with a high prevalence of HIV and AIDS, a water shortage, no electricity, unreliable food, and exceptionally bad roads has seriously challenged our understanding about the world. We can't help feeling that if we'd done this earlier, we might have learned things that years of pursuing culture and pleasure have failed to teach us. Not that when you come to Africa, you expect to be taught something. If anything, you think, because you've read the economic arguments and you know the history and you come from a part of the world which has surely worked out how life works, that you have something to teach it. But then you get to this massive red-earthed continent and away from the tourist bubble, you realize that your horizons have been utterly limited until now and that these people you characterized as poor and sick and somehow lacking in the basics are, despite all they face, talented, funny, and generous. That they live with exceptional hope and resilience and in communities so interdependent that makes our individualistic, self-sufficient lives seem deleterious. And for a while, your whole system for measuring wealth gets turned upside down, but then you wake up the next day and circumstances douse your naive enthusiasm. Across the road, a 35-year-old man dies of AIDS leaving five more orphans for the community to feed. And then you learn that the community has inadequate water for crops because there's been a two-year drought. And then a tearful father asks you for funds to send his daughter to secondary school. And then there's a scandal about the government spending millions on fleets of flashy four-wheel drives, a government that's already spending more on repaying debt than it does on education, and you want to push your head into the red dust and scream. But the next day, the sun comes up, and you see the people walking to market to sell mangoes and goats in exchange for exercise books and tools. And in church, people pledge sacks of beans for the orphans. And the widow's group are using the money from their maize to buy another cow. And maybe the government are going to bore, water, bore for water after all. And there's a sense that with a little support and some investment, that this could all work. And you sit down, exhausted from the roller coaster of an African day, when your 70-year-old neighbor comes to check that you are okay as if you're the one who's deprived. And you offer her a glass of water and she pauses before drinking. And you wonder if you've broken some social protocol and then you see that she's actually thanking God for the glass of water and the gift of life. And you realize that all your wealth, travel, education and privilege has never really taught you the true worth of a glass of water or been able to demonstrate how precious life is as simply and as powerfully as this. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And do you know why we have been made rich in Christ Jesus? Can you see where this puts us? Um, we have now been made rich by his poverty, which means that we are now, to some extent, where Jesus began. When he was rich, he became 
poor that he might make us rich. And now, in and through him, we are rich. Why? Um, in order that we too might become poor in order to make others rich. Sorry. That's the way the life of Jesus is made manifest in our lives. We become poor. We set it all aside. We lay it all down. We become poor in time and energy and money so that others can become rich. Like Jesus, we give ourselves away. It's as we, um, as followers of Jesus, we become the self-giving ministry of Jesus, pouring ourselves out on behalf of others. It's then that the glorious miracle gets revealed to others. Others get to see the glorious miracle of his self-giving love that transforms and changes lives. Jesus has made us rich in order that out of our riches in Christ, we may begin to pour out to others all that he has given to us. And today, we are inviting, as we do every week, actually, um, we are inviting us all to give out of those riches. And the moment this morning, we're talking about money, okay? Other times we're talking about time. Other times we're talking about energy. We're always inviting you to join in with the ministry of Jesus and spend yourselves on the kingdom. So from the 1st of September to the 30th of November, whatever goes into the offering baskets on a Sunday goes straight to the work, entirely to the work of the Lunch Bowl Network. It's completely restricted income. It, it comes through our account, but we can't touch it. Um, our heart, I think, as you should know, is our heart is to see everyone who considers this to be their church. Um, we would want everyone to be giving something financially. Uh, it, it doesn't matter how large or how small your gift. I really don't care. That's between you and the Lord, right? So this isn't about amount. I, I'm just not interested, okay? The Lord can deal with that, right? This is about every member ministry. This is about every single one of us taking part. And, and, and our invitation is extended to you. It's like, you know, if this is your church, you, you should want to be supporting the work of the church here, right? You should want to give to the church here, you know, as you benefit from all the different things of being part of this community. It, if you're not giving, you should be giving, right? And I don't care if that's five pounds a month or 500 pounds a month or 50,000 pounds a month, right? It doesn't matter to me, but you should be doing that. If you're not doing that, you're not reading your Bible properly, right? And you can do that by setting up a direct debit or give online, whatever, you can do that. But we should be giving as members of this church first to the work of this church, yeah? Um, and then secondly, we should be giving, every single one of us should be joining in and giving with supporting the mission of this church, which in this moment is to support and bless the guys in Kenya. And um, you can do that by putting your offering in the uh, basket on a Sunday. Um, and remember that just what's really important, this isn't about amount. It's not about how much. It's just that everyone, I don't care if you give a pound, 50p, 20p, doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter how small, it really doesn't matter how big. Okay, so I'm not going to be offended by your 50,000 pound check either, right? So it's really, if you're a UK taxpayer, make sense of giving your money through a gift aid uh, envelope. They're in the offering baskets. They're, they're at the back on the welcome team. 
the government will, will give 25% extra to your money, right? So it's like free money. So that goes, and that goes to the Lunchbowl Network as well. So like, don't just not do that because you can't be bothered to fill out a gift aid form. Let the government cough up some cash. But all of that goes to the Lunchbowl Network. And really, let's see this as an opportunity, as an invitation for us to grow in the generosity, the gift of generosity, the grace of generosity that has existed and has been part of the DNA of this church. Uh, since it was planted 32 years ago. And then maybe, even if you are in the midst of your own very severe trial, you know, that somehow let an overwhelming joy, in the context of what may be for you an extreme poverty, you may be extremely financially poor, you may be extremely time poor, you may be extremely energy poor, but let that generosity well up in a rich generosity. Let's give as much as we are able and even beyond our ability. Done. Why don't you stand?